God, those communists are amazing. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Turn Leftist Podcast. I'm Mike, he, him. And tonight I'm here with Sterling, he, him. Ward, he, him. Darren, he, him. And our guest tonight are Sean, he, him. And Jacob, he, him. And they are from the Rise to Liberty Podcast. Yeah, so if you guys like to uh, do like a little introduction of yourselves for our listeners. Yeah, I'll jump in real quick. So my name is Sean Hickman, and uh, I am the founder of the Pain Caucus within the Libertarian Party, uh, which focuses on classical liberal values. Uh, I'm also a co-host of a podcast called the Liberty Roundtable on Muddy Water Media. Yeah, so uh, my name is Jacob Johnson, host of Rise to Liberty podcast. Really, the idea is to uh, get everyone's different perspective on what liberty is. Um, I'm a free speech radical, believe that uh, everyone has the right to speak and speak their mind, express themselves freely. It's really about capturing that and uh, spreading that message around. Uh, I'm also a member of the Mises Caucus, a state organizer in the Libertarian Party and a uh, member, uh, a dues paying member of the Libertarian Party. Cool. Yeah, I mean, as much as I don't agree with any of those organizations, the fact <laughs> that you're organizing is cool. I mean, I appreciate it. So more yeah. power to you. All right. So obviously tonight, this is going to be a discussion about in cap libertarian philosophy versus Marxism, anarchism, uh, you know, left anarchism. And like I said, I have only a couple things prepared, but I wanted to see if you guys had anything you wanted to start off with, if you have any kind of jumping off points that you had in mind. Um, I don't know if you guys brought any notes or any talking points, but uh, feel free if you have any. I'll, I'll jump in real quick. Um, sure. I, I'm not an ANCAP uh, and uh, I, I'm just not an anarchist at all, uh, okay. but I am a staunch capitalist. Um, mm. I'm definitely more of the limited government variety. So think like your Mises, Hayek, uh, and uh, I, if it's not going to make anybody fall over and laugh, uh, <laughs> I, I do like Ayn Rand. So uh, oh, no. <laughs> that will that will actually do that to us. Yes, but um... very Randian. So yes, <laughs> but, but I, I would I would hope you would agree that uh, Randian is better than Rothbardian. Sadly. It's like, if Anne Rand decided to transition, then she would have been Murray Rothbard. <laughs> I guess that's actually a better place to start off with than I realized is just uh, if you guys could both just sort of give us an idea of what your ideologies are. I just kind of assumed you guys were both in the ANCAP libertarian space. So, um, yeah, if you guys want to clarify either of those stances a little more. If you want to keep going, Sean, uh, in, unless you're done. No, go for it. Go for it. Give, give him the full Rothbardian experience. <laughs> so I'm actually not a Rothbardian. Okay, um, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I do like Rothbard as far as a person. Uh, I, I don't know. That's up for debate, definitely. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely a staunch capitalist. Um, I do lean definitely more towards the more uh, anarcho-capitalist. Um, Although I've definitely been favoriting um, agorism, uh, agorism, however you pronounce it, definitely uh, laissez-faire capitalism is really uh, where I come from as far as the economic side. Um, otherwise, it's the uh, non-aggression principle, non-harm principle. That's really about it as far as myself. That's so. Yeah, just to kind of... Uh, build off of that. Can you uh, walk our listeners through what a non-aggression, non, what did you say? The other one, no, non-harm principle is. So the non-aggression principle, uh, the the basis of it is that you 
do not aggress upon another person. You do not force through the threat of violence and or coercion, basically to do anything. Um, everyone has their uh, right to self-preservation, uh, the right to be able to make up their, their own choices. And another person does not have the right to force them through violence or fraud, coercion, to be able to force them to do anything. Um, okay. I think Sean would probably have a better take on the harm principle. Yeah, the, the harm principle is kind of where I get my start on uh, philosophy around um, the aggression idea. I think harm describes it better than aggression. Uh, libertarians love this this NAP, the non-aggression principle. And um, I don't think that there was an improvement needed uh, when when uh, John Stuart Mill uh, wrote on liberty, you know, he defined the harm principle as, you know, you're free to do what you want, provided what you're doing doesn't harm others. And I think that's, that's a pretty good motto to live by. I don't think you even need to, you know, irregardless of your, your take on economics, it's a, probably a pretty good idea to, uh, to believe that you shouldn't hurt people and you shouldn't take their stuff. I think that's a pretty basic rule for us to live by. Do you, do you believe in economic violence? Oh, I, I, I definitely do. I think what we have going on in this country right now is economic violence. Um, and Mussolini would be proud of the, the uh, <laughs> economic fascism we have going on. So uh, the, we, the we, corporatism, I, I think there's some things that, uh, that we would probably agree upon. Yeah. We, might not, we might not land on the same terms. My guess is, is that when we get into the nuance of it, uh, you folks will say that it is a feature of capitalism, and I would say uh, that uh, the that, what, what, that what we have is 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 not capitalism. And then we get and then when we get into your side of the argument, uh, you know, and we level critiques, you'll say that oh well, that wasn't true communism, and and then we get into this no you know true uh, no true Stockman <laughs> fallacy. You know, yeah. there is no true communism. There is no true capitalism. But hopefully we can under I, I really wanted to come on here just to understand how y'all came to, you know, thinking. Yeah. So something about us, uh, obviously, the, the left is is very is just as broad as your side, if not even broader. Uh, so there are definitely different types of leftists, uh, communists, socialists, et cetera. There's many types on this podcast, but three of us in here are Marxist Leninists or tankies. Um, so as far as uh, saying that some of the communism didn't work or wasn't real communist, you're not going to run into that with most of us. We're, I think we'd uh, only say that about big, Pol Pot. That's about yeah, it. Like the yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Like Stalin, gold standard. We, we love Daddy Stalin here. <laughs> All right. So then if you guys don't have any um, kind Jared. of talking points to start off with, what's up? Jared's had his hand this whole time. <laughs> oh, I didn't see it. I'm sorry. It's blending in with his background. Oh, it's all good. We're, we're, ignoring, all good. we're ignoring the anarchists. Sorry. Uh, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, with the, the non-aggression principle, I, it seems like such a good rule because it's just so blanketed. But at the same time, I, I have to pose this question. Was it a violation of the non-aggression principle when Rothbard endorsed KKK leader David Duke for president, or when Rothbard did things like say there should be no legal obligation to feed your kids, or when Ron Paul platformed anti-Semites like Don Black and the Fatima Center. Um, when you do that, yeah, you're not reaching out and punching someone in the face, but you are emboldening an ideology that will ferment over time into violence. 
And to say that like, yes, I have this place where anyone can say what they want to because it doesn't hurt anybody, that's a very cute thought, but it's just empirically untrue. When you create space for people to allow these things to fester, it ultimately becomes violence and there must be accountability for that. Man, it's gonna get chippy early. Um, <laughs> just thinking that too. <laughs> oh, so, so here's here's what I'll say. Uh, I'm not going to make any defense of Rothbard. You want to shit on Rothbard? We will shit on him. I I won't even defend the parts where I think he might have got it wrong. I'll just say you know let a Rothbardian defend him. Um, as far as Ron Paul goes, uh, I, I'm familiar with the publication. I'm also familiar with the mechanics of how that publication was ran. You could argue that he should have he should have known better. Uh, but uh, I give a little bit of grace. Uh, I've, you know, I've, I've worked for corporations where messaging comes out and you have CEOs that, that are unaware of what's going on. So I, I, I'm not going to hang uh, Ron Paul for, uh, for, for things that other people have said, especially when Ron Paul has been very clear over the years of, uh, of uh, disavowing any association with those type of thoughts. I think he's been very clear on his position. So I don't think I have to, you know, Ron Paul can speak for himself and you could, you could go back and look at that. But what I do take exception to, and this is where it's probably gonna get chippy, is that I don't subscribe to the idea that words are violence. Uh, I think that words can be irresponsible and words can lead to violence, but I think that it's dangerous for us to associate that, that words are violence. I think um, my take on the words or violence thing would be that not that the words themselves are violence or are dangerous in that way. I mean, unless there's always the cases like, you know, what do they always say? Screaming fire in a crowded theater and people get trampled or whatever. That's a whole different story. But I would say like words denote people's intentions of their, like when people throw up the Sig Heil or whatever, and they, you know, announce themselves as fascists, it's like they are making it very clear that they intend at some point when they are powerful enough to do violence to people. And this is where I get into what I, for me is the main left-right distinction, which is like, as authoritarian leftists, we are perfectly fine with like gulags, re-education camps and that kind of thing, like putting people against the wall. Like we talk about it all the time. We're fucking obsessed with it. But like, we would do that to people based on their voluntarily held beliefs. You know what I mean? That they could abandon at any time and then be peacefully accepted into a, a peaceful society where we accept everyone. But the fascists and the right want to do that to people for characteristics they were born with and have no control over, like because they're gay, they're Jewish, they're black, whatever it is. Like, you know what I mean? That's who the right wants to do that to. And that's what I think is the main distinction between the far left and the far right is who we want to genocide and for what reasons. Go ahead, Jaren. Um, okay, so obviously I'm, I'm the anarchist in the room. I have problems <laughs> with authoritarianism. But I, I will say this, as far as Ron Paul, I, I completely deny that he has lack of agency due to corporate donors or, or corporations and him just, you know, being a speaker, speaker piece, just kind of sit into these areas. I mean, a direct quote from one of his newsletters is given the inefficiencies of what DC laughingly calls the criminal justice system. I think we can safely assume that 95% of black males in that city are semi-criminal or entirely criminal. That's directly from his newsletter that he sent out to his fans. Oh, he used to have Richard Spencer in his newsletters. He did. Yes. But you know, the thing to me is like, when, when we're talking about can words become violence, I'd like to take this old trope that, that has manifested violence for my people, Jewish people, for years, uh, not just years, centuries. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, it started off as just a simple publication, a collection of words in a document. And since then, it has blossomed into things beyond Nazi Germany. 
things that are still contained within the, the QAnon spectrum, the alt-right spectrum here in the US, the alt-right cells that exist in Eastern Europe. This is a collection of words that have spawned violence for hundreds of years against people that I am related to. And in, in two cases, my family directly, I do not believe that words don't have an impact upon action. That's, that is something that only, and I mean no direct offense to the two of you, but that's something that only the privileged can say. When I see people marching in Charlottesville saying Jews will not overtake us, that's not peaceful to me. I'm ready to fucking kick their teeth then over that. I'll start it. I don't give a fuck. That's direct action to me because when you do that, you're threatening my family and me. Yeah, Jake, yeah, so, and then Sean, or, or, or whatever order you guys want. doesn't really matter. Sorry, let me just jump in real quick, and I'll let Jacob address a lot of those points. Um, I just wanted to say that when it comes to the point uh, that was made about you know, hammering Ron Paul for, for what comes out of this publication, I think this is one big fundamental difference between thinking collectively and thinking uh, as an individualist. My intent is to figure out who are the individuals that hold these opinions, who are the individuals that you can hold accountable for their actions rather than smearing an entire group. For example, I think that there's a lot of dangerous um, rhetoric that, that can be spewed from the left side of the fence. And one of the reasons why I, why I wanted to come on here and talk to you guys is to be able to make those individual connections and to be able to understand that there are different ideologies. Like I, I was, you know, really happy to hear that uh, that, that somebody is against the authoritarian, uh, you know, style. I think that uh, you, you know the, the, that difference that 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 is uh, that is spoken there is really like if you're going to allow violence, uh, you know, based on your political enemies or or whoever it is that you find, uh, you know, to be a dissident, um, you know. You just you have to worry. Well, who's going to be in charge? And and I think the biggest fear that that I would have if I were on either side of those aisles, because I don't look at things from a left right paradigm typically. But uh, if you have to think of the extreme, if you if you're going to advocate that authoritarianism and, and and violent authoritarianism is okay, what happens when the opposite? You you accidentally muted yourself right there at the end, Sean. What happens? Sorry, when the I, was gonna, I was going to pass that to Jacob. Go ahead, Jake. Yeah, so um, I, I would agree that uh, some people marching in Charlottesville um, saying some terrible things about the Jewish people, it, it, that's absolutely deplorable. Uh, that's disgusting, uh, just at the very basis of it. I don't like it at all. However, I would not physically cause any of them harm until they do cause physical harm. It's at any point, at point, I... And that's we'll we'll just have to disagree at that point. Um, that as soon as somebody throws the first punch, then that's when all civilized rules are off. Um, and that that's that's my standpoint from that. Um, not calling these people uh, civilized because I believe that that uh, backwards thinking is uh, completely uncivilized. Sterling. Yeah, I I won't dive too deep into criticism. I just want to say. Just one little comment on the throws of the first punch. It's typically not a punch that gets thrown first. It's typically a bullet, and someone typically loses their life. And it's typically someone who was not spreading fashion. Yeah. Um, so I'm using it as kind of a. Uh, uh, I mean, we were example. talking about it's, the Unite the Right rally. That's what we were talking about. Like, we're using that as the specific example. Yes, correct. Right. That day, you know, 
someone got killed, but it was by a far right dude with his car. Yeah, I see it as preemptive self-defense. If there's somebody out there that you know for a fact wants to and is willing to kill you and your family, you're really going to wait until they do something first? I think of it just like putting people in prison who are a danger to society. Like It's like, to me, putting, a, putting an unrepentant fascist into prison is just as justified as putting a serial killer in prison, whether they've killed or not. If, like, if somebody makes you, their intentions clear that they intend to be a serial killer if they have the chance and you lock them up first, it's like, that's a fucking win. And I say the same thing about fascists who intend to like, do genocide as, like, if they just gain enough political power. But go ahead, Sean. Yeah, I was just going to say that so the trouble with this is the double standard. So some of y'all are uh, advocating for you know, uh, violence and put people against the wall And so if we're going to take that as a, um, you know, I could take those words and say, those are political enemies. It's not the same. That's the thing. It's not the same is because, and I I would like to go back to that distinction I made earlier because we jumped into Jaron's thing. And I thought it was ironic that Jaron, the anarchist, the anti-authoritarian is the most like heated of us tonight. And like the one who's talking about (laughs) kicking teeth in is is great to me. But um, what do you think about the distinction? Like I was saying earlier, like the far right wants to genocide people for, characteristics they were born with and cannot change, whereas the far left wants to do that to people who refuse to relinquish that dangerous ideology. You know, there's that great um, philosophy tube video. And she says, like, if you stop being a fascist, leftist and communist and everybody, we're not going to, we maybe we'll not be your friend. Like, we may not buy you a beer, but we will let you live. But there's no point that, like, black people or Jewish people or gay people or trans people or whatever can satisfy fascists and live peacefully with them. Like fascists will not stop until they can kill those people simply for existing. Like their your existence is an affront to these people. Uh, go ahead, Sterling, and then we'll go back to the, the other guys. Yeah, and, and just to go a little deeper, because you know, we, we're using very broad, you know, terms. And when when we say fascist, we are talking specifically about those who are in some, you know, really inspirational or political power in in which that these views can manifest. If I, I mean, I live here in Georgia. If I go down to the fucking trailer park and see someone flying old glory, yeah, fuck them. But I, I don't believe that they are seek that they're just waiting for an opportunity to exterminate the Jews. Yeah, like, I'm talking Jews, about like actual yeah. fucking neo Nazis and yeah, shit. Yeah, like, like actual brown shirts, black shirts, like the people who are responsible for the unite the right that wanted that very much. You know, when they heard that someone who was not a part of their organization was killed by a part of their organization. Got a little bit of butterflies when they first got that information. I'd like to see a bullet in their head. I'm not saying line up everyone who attended that rally and put them against the wall, but you know that that's what investigations are for. That's what trials are for. You you determine who are the people who are capable of taking a group of people and turning it into a murderous machine. Kill those people, or you know, put them in prison. Whatever the actual appropriate you know one is, I, I could care less which one it was. And then you, you look at the communist side, the left side, like, yeah, we, we do say some of these things like, like we, we would not mind seeing Kyle Rittenhouse get off scot-free and then catching a bullet in the head as he's walking down the court steps. We wouldn't mind seeing uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, going to charge up his Tesla and getting hit by a train. Reenacting love- our t-shirt design. <laughs> yeah, right. Like there, there, are, there are many things that, that we're okay with as far as violence, but these are things by people who are carrying out violence. And Kyle Rittenhouse may not be a great example, and I I love to be really extreme when it comes to that topic just to piss off like conservative and liberal friends, but 
Kyle Rittenhouse has still become a vehicle for ideology. He has still become someone that he's go if he gets away with it, which he probably will, it's going to make a lot of people justified in their beliefs that if I just go to an organization that I know what they're about and I take a gun with me and I start getting pushed around, as long as they pushed me first and I pull a trigger and kill one of them, I'm going to get off scot-free. It makes you real comfortable in that, you know, I like to call Kyle Rittenhouse a neo-Nazi or a, or a neo-fascist at least, but he, he was kind of too young to really adapt such a, a true ideology. So it's kind of hard for me to mean those words, if that makes sense. But he's become a vehicle for those meanings for other people. Oh, absolutely. Um, I would just say that I find it interesting that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, who, you know, in a court of law with his, the prosecutor's witnesses that describe incidents of self-defense, that that would be the poster child for somebody that would catch a bullet, uh, somebody that's defending themselves. Um, but we would, it, it just, it just seems very interesting to me, like the, the, uh, the criteria that is used for who gets the bullet, who doesn't get the bullet. And, and I think it maybe it necessitates like a bigger, uh, like maybe rewinding it. Like, like where is the, the, the form of ethics that we've arrived at, uh, because we could talk about economics all day long. We could get into the economic calculation problem and 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 bury you know um, you know the, the economics of communism pretty quickly. But when we start thinking about the the actual uh, when we start thinking about the actual ethics of these things, I will make the argument that the most moral way to organize a society is one where people are free to succeed or to fail, and that and that you don't have uh, you, you know, the government picking and choosing the winners or the losers. I think that that is the goal that I'd like to see. And those are like the ethical concerns that I have before you get into politics, before you get into economics, is just organizing a society that recognizes natural rights. And I'll, I'll say, and like I said before, Kyle Rittenhouse is probably a bad example of this. I would like to see him catch a bullet just because it w wouldn't make me sad for that to happen. But the truth is, does does Kyle Rittenhouse truly meet the standards for what a, a, a true authoritarian left society would, you know, actually execute the kid for? I mean, Probably ideally, not. everybody would be given a chance to renounce their fucking shitty views. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, if, if I had my way, we would have, like, a fucking vanguard party and councils and, like, a fucking NKVD of our own. And, like, we'd have these people, like, up against the wall and be like, look, are you going to stop being a fucking fascist and we'll let you live? And then they could go on about their merry way. But, like, that's not the world we live in. And so it's like... It's the same thing. I just wouldn't be sad if, like, Kyle Rittenhouse caught one. I don't know. Yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse is a symptom. He's not a cause of fascism. He, he is a symptom. You're going to have Kyle Rittenhouses because we've let too much happen already. And I think you guys even agree that the, the current situation in the United States is not ideal even for your ideology. And I think that there are a lot of just extreme people that were around him there was extreme content that he was exposed to that had there had something been done to prevent this kid from going down that path he wouldn't be in court today that other uh gentleman would not be dead today um a lot of things wouldn't have happened we're, we're we talk about when we say genocide the fascist we really we mean the the source not even necessarily the kyle rittenhouse's maybe a re-education camp and kind of show him, hey, this is neo-Nazi views. You've 
if you don't realize it yet, you've let yourself become a neo-Nazi and kill someone who is organizing for black rights, for, uh, you know... Just equality. Actually, like- yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, just stop fucking killing us in the streets. Like, you killed someone who was just saying, don't kill me in the street. Like, you get that, right? <laughs> and I just want to say that those aren't the targets we're talking about when we say, you know, we, we want to set a criteria. The criteria is the people who are responsible for Kyle Rittenhouse. I just want to clear that up. I want to go with um, Jacob just to be fair, because I saw you had something, and then we'll go with Jaron. So the, the issue I have with a lot of what's been said is uh, you're choosing to be jury, you know, judge, jury. Well, no, no, I, like I said, I want counsel set up. Like, I want actual institutions no, no, for finding I, I understand that. accountable set up. Like, we just don't live in that world. So right now, like I said, I wouldn't be, ha- wouldn't be sad if you caught one. But, like, we, re- we are saying, like, we're taking pains to say he's not the source of this. He's not... He's just like a, a fucking young kid. Who but you're prosecuting it. thought crime. So right. and, and, until, an, until an action is actually No, he's committed upon, actions. That's, that's the whole problem. He's committed actions. Like, yeah, but if he didn't case. commit any action, he wouldn't be in, in a court either. So um, no, we just these other people, it. well, we wouldn't, if he didn't commit any action, if there was no action taking place, nothing would have happened. Yeah, so. Yeah. No, I, I, I get the point you're making, but I think... It I don't think I goes, do. It, no, it go, no I, I get what he's saying, but it kind of goes back to what I was saying is it, Kyle Rittenhouse is not like the, the huge crime of the century to me. Like, it, it's bad what happened. Trust me, no one needs to say that any louder than me. But what we're saying is the actual true, like the most atrocious crime here is who was responsible for giving him this far right-wing ideology to begin with. And that is the greatest crime. That crime is even worse than the murder itself. So that's the crime we have an issue with. And that crime occurred regardless if Kyle Rittenhouse shot someone. That, that's a lot of assumptions, assuming okay. that somebody gave him far-right opinions. Okay, so I want to address Jacob's actual point in his last segment, and as opposed to Mike and Sterling. Yeah, because I don't um, think I'm getting it still. Yeah, so Jacob's, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like your ultimate point was it's punishing people for thoughts, right? And until an action taken place, it, it is only thought, uh, such as this right now. Uh, and until uh, you guys or anybody with uh, your belief system actually takes the action to put it into place, it's just thought at that point. It's uh, discussing philosophy, uh, economics, whatever. Yeah, so academic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's theory. So that just comes back around to what we were saying earlier about like speech is how some speech is just speech until it gets to the point where they hold enough power to enact what they've been talking about. So to me, it's lost on me where it's, oh, just thought police when those thoughts can fester and harbor into actionable violence. No, it's not even about festering. It's like you're announcing your like if somebody tells me they're a fascist, they are announcing to me their intent to kill minorities if they get the political power and the institutions in their control. I, I need to go with Jaron because I know you had something and then we will go to, Oh, okay, guys, real, real quick. One, one sentence. I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was trained <laughs> to be a neo-Nazi. What'd you have Jaron? Well, first I'm going to clarify a little bit about where I stand with some things so that we get the full spectrum, but then I'm going to tie this into the, the Rittenhouse thing to be very clear. When I'm talking about kicking in a Nazi's teeth, it's because I do believe what Ward said. Depending on your ideology, 
you may be a constant threat to me. That's just the truth. Same thing for any minority that happens to have people who want to kill them. You don't have to come up and try to kill them. You can just want to kill them, and that's what you do, because eventually that rhetoric, if not with you, with somebody will gain enough traction and enough space for there to be a catalyst, a point of action where that causality happens. Now, I'm, I am a true-to-the-bone, for the most part, anarchist. For most people, I don't believe that like punitive punishment and prisons and cops and shit, all, none of that works the way that we have it set up. I do believe that perhaps maybe we should partition some people away from society, but it shouldn't be in a way that makes their life fucking miserable. And that, that to me is the definition of like deciding between who is an ostensible threat, who needs to be neutralized, and who just needs rehabilitation or a safe space to be away from society. Now, at the same time, I have to bring this up. So when we're looking at Kyle Rittenhouse, and we zoom out because the prosecution zoomed in. They were like, there's two minutes where we decide whether or not the use of force was necessary. And that's bullshit to me. You got to zoom out. You got to look at the whole fucking thing, which is that police have been killing black people at a ridiculous rate in this country with impunity, which has sparked a bunch of protests and the destruction of private property. The cops get called in and this impressionable child is handed a gun and sent across the state border to do what he will with that situation. Now, this ties into what y'all were talking about, in my opinion. You're saying that capitalism, this meritocratic system where we all get out what we put in, right? How is that possible, though, when capitalism is predicated off of white supremacy? It was developed with white supremacy, developed with Western hegemony, we are not at an equal starting place. We can't have this society that you want, in my opinion, because we would have to zero everybody out to even get the meritocratic benefit that you're talking about. I mean, case in point, in the United States, the average black family has one-fifth the worth of the average white family. And in the third world, it's even worse than that. So how can we get, I'm genuinely asking, how can we get this fair system that you advertise when the starting places are so completely fucked from the outset. I'm happy to take that. So I, I think one of the things that you and I would agree on is that government screws a lot of things up. And when, when government gets in control, um, if we look back at pretty much every major calamity that's happened that, that was human caused, it starts with this idea that I know better and I am going to mobilize against you know, a particular group, whether it's, you know, viewing uh, an entire race of people as less than and enslaving them, whether it's uh, viewing uh, an entire country that you've landed on as less than and you commit genocide. These are decisions that get made that government ends up supporting. And so my position would be because capitalism really is, is a free market that's unfettered by government. I think the problem, and, and we might see some of the things similar and, and some of the things just vastly different. My understanding of air capitalism and, and the idea of the beauty that we could achieve through it would be to get the government to stop planning and to get the government to stop picking and choosing the winners. Because all of the things that you described about setting up a system that benefits one group versus another, that's not capitalism. And it so the conflation that it is. Well, no, no, it, it, it so, so that's the way it's played out in, in the terms that there's nepotism and whether, whether it's people uh, protecting, you know, 
uh, you know, their family members that happen to be white. I, like, honestly, I would prefer the government just get completely out of things. I would say that the problems that we run into is that when you have this fascist system that we, I think we all agree it's fascist, where you have the corporations very and different the governments. Reasons. Well, but the, but the government and, and the corporations are entangled in, a, in such a way that it's punitive for everyone else. And, and, and it's that entanglement of, of, of large corporations and, and government that becomes the problem. And so if we can break that entanglement, I think we might find some agreement here. I mean, Sterling, do, what do you have? Is, that, is it a, a bit like um, a one finger? A little bit. You go first. <laughs> I just was going to say, like, could you point out a, a society to me that didn't turn out that way? Like any capitalist society that hasn't turned out with the government and the corporations, like totally enmeshed in all this corruption that we're dealing with here in the U.S. Like it always turns out that way. That is that is a real capitalism. I, so, go, go ahead, Sterling. Sorry. I, I just because me and Mike's point are, you know, very similar. And I, I just kind of want to piggyback off what he said. So. First of all, I want to kind of give my definition of capitalism. Well, I also don't of, think the government is bad at doing stuff. I don't think the government screws things up. I think it's very good at doing the things that it does, and it just is doing really shitty things because it's driven by <laughs> capitalism and not driven by working for working class people. But go ahead, so. So, uh, first of all, I, I want to define capitalism as capital, whereas communism is the rule by the common will of the people, I define capitalism as the will of the majority capital holders. Whoever has the most money gets to make the rule of the land. So my thing is, if you were, and we've actually talked about this a lot on our podcast, if you were to hit a reset button, completely delete the government, outlaw it, and let capitalism take its course in a totally free market system, what happens is you start getting those get really fucking successful at capitalism who become your Elon Musk, who become your Jeff Bezos, who get so much capital and power over others because that is what capital is. If I have money, I can talk you into cleaning my house. If I have money, I can talk you into bringing petroleum from another country and filling up my car. So if I have capital, I have power over others. As soon as I have a lot of that capital, I begin to have a lot of power over others. I can start sectioning off entire cities. I can build highways and tell you you have to pay a lot of money to even drive on my highways. And I'm going to get to you, Jacob, but just to tie up what I'm saying... My belief is eventually and in a very short period, those people who do have that capital who then start making these huge rules catch a lot of flack and then install a government to become a third party and become the one to blame. Because Jeff Bezos doesn't want to get blamed for ruining the world. Elon Musk doesn't want to get blamed for ruining the world. Goldman Sachs, Raytheon, like none of these companies want to take the blame. They love having a third party there to take the blame for them. So eventually, these companies that get the most power are going to install something very similar to what we have so they can act as the, the father in the house. They catch the blame and they quote unquote set the rule. But the government doesn't set the rules. The government didn't fucking initiate ALEC because they like writing laws. They initiated ALEC because they want the fucking companies to hand deliver the fucking uh, law to the house so they can bring it to the floor and vote on it because they're also their fucking donors and then they get to pass law. And I think so, it's like, it's somewhere near that. It's not just that the corporations would create the government to shirk off the responsibility of like fucking people. Also, the citizens would want a government because they're getting fucked. Like they would, it's perfect. They would push for it too, because you're never going to have a situation once you get rid of government and have a free market 
where people aren't getting fucked. Like the wealth is going to concentrate upwards. So sooner or later, people are going to start banding together and demanding some kind of regulation on all the corporations and the warlords that are inevitably going to arise because we already have free markets. It's called the black market. Like anything yeah. that you do on the black market is the real free market. And those people aren't having a great time. Like you live in constant danger because anybody can just come fucking murk you. And it's like, that's what that free market capitalism leads to. It's like warlords and what we have, you know, like I said, with the black market, but like people are going to create a state in that situation. And then, you know, corporations will benefit from that too. But I'm sorry, so continue with your point. No, no, let, let Jacob take it. So where I disagree with this is the fact that the reason these people stay wealthy and the reason that nobody else can come up on them is because of the favoritism through the government. Government comes in and stomps out competition. So we as consumers give these businesses, these uh, CEOs, whatever, we spend our money at these businesses. They gain their wealth from us giving their mo uh, our money to them. Mm -hmm. So if there's another company that acts more morally, acts more ethically, uh, doesn't do these terrible things that some of these terrible people do, then people stop spending their money there and go to another business that actually does act ethically. Um, the assumption that all capital automatically makes people act immorally is... That's not what I said. No, 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 no. Uh, go ahead. I, I'm not implying that mm. you necessarily are saying that. I'll say that. I just said, I just said it's power. It gives you power over others. No, I'll say there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Fuck it. I say it all the time. There you go. So the, the idea that uh, capital automatically makes you unethical, uh, I think, is a uh, false assumption. I would say that's um, kind of just like naive, because if you do start your completely ethical company, you're going to have much higher margins. Like you're going to either be run out of business because you're not going to be able to compete in that market with the unethical companies, or you're going to be driven to do the un un unethical shit to make your margins and compete. Okay, Sean. If there's government to step in, yes. No. No, with or without government, if you do your ethical, totally ethical company, you pay everyone your fair wages, there's no way you can make the same profits that the unethical company is making, so they will overtake you. Sorry, go ahead, Sean. Yeah, so I, I think this is where um, I like to back it up into this idea of uh, what are the rights of man? Like, what, 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 do the, what do human beings have the rights for? And then once we can agree on that we have certain inalienable rights, and there's some disagreements that we'll get into, I'm sure, like one of them would be the rights to property, right? Perdone would say property is theft, and uh, I, I would claim that it is a fundamental right. Um, but I think we, we, could, we could agree on a lot of rights that human beings should have. And, and then when, when, when you agree on that, when you start thinking about, well, what would be the proper government to be able to protect those rights, I would make the argument that government shouldn't be involved in business at all. I, it, it may be to handle some disputes or if there or to if somebody commits fraud, but in, but the regulations themselves, the laws themselves, is what creates this. It's something you had said, Mike, about you know black markets exist, and that's an example of capitalism. Unfortunately, those black markets were created by uh, legislation that regulates certain markets. If we look at Prohibition, for example, in the 1920s, what you created was this illegal underground that became extremely violent. Yeah, that's uh, what a free market would be like, is my point, though. And like, it doesn't well, matter that those are things that are illegal because the government made them illegal. My point is that 
by ma making them illegal, that is now something that operates outside of government and it is a truly free market. So that is what a free market looks like. And I think that's uncomfortable for free market fans. I, well, I, I, but I would, I would say the problem that, that we run into here is that when you regulate things, you're regulating, you're picking and choosing the winners, right? When you truly deregulate, truly deregulate, uh, you, you, would allow, you would allow for a world in which it would be legal, which would, which would mean that if somebody is, is creating force, those are things that should be punishable by law. I think it's important to note that when it comes to government, I believe that the only thing we should have a government for, a federal government, would be for a military, for, be, for police, and for court systems. I don't believe they should touch anything else. I don't think that they're equipped to know the nuances of local uh, areas. I, I'm, I'm very much like a lot of people will debate nationalism versus globalism. I think localism is where it comes down to. And I would, I would think that a lot of, a lot of people on your side of the fence would agree that uh, thinking locally is a good idea and having local governance is a good idea. Uh, maybe except for uh, uh, Jared uh, who, who would want no government, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think the regulations themselves, uh, Jacob, did you have something? Oh, I'm sorry, Jaron, you have your hand. Sorry, I keep doing that to you. Well, okay, there's a lot to unpack here. So first off, you're, you're saying that you think that local, <laughs> local economies should take precedence over national economies, at least in some sense. But the thing with capitalism is, you know, you could have the owner of a company 2,000 miles away who's stealing surplus value from somebody in infinite small local economies so that sort of puts that to rest but as far as as far as regulations the idea that they're just dead set wrong and this is coming from an anarchist sterling put it best a long time ago government is a tool the way that we choose to use it is entirely up to us now here's a good example this was brought to my attention by my wife a while ago something called the dalkin shield which was an iud an early iud for birth control and the company, it had early success, and they wanted to sell more, sell more, sell cheaper. They started cutting corners. They started improving it so that male pleasure would be uh, more the focal point and not necessarily female comfort or safety. And a oh bunch God. of women died in the United States from the Dalkin Shield. The government had to step in and regulate what exactly you can put in someone's vagina to make it safe for an IUD. That is a case where regulation and blanket safety for the populace is extremely important. And to think that, that individual companies would take this kind of accountability on their own is absolute folly, especially if we've already learned what is wrong. Why would we not require everyone to do this now so that we don't have to have more deaths and more lawsuits for every single private company that chooses to violate it? And if you look at the Dalkin Shield now, that company is still operating overseas and in countries that have less formidable regulations. There's no telling how many West Africans have died from the Dalkin Shield. There's no telling how many South Asians have died from the Dalkin Shield. They're still putting this in people. So, like, obviously, I'm a small business owner. There's some regulations that piss me the fuck off because they're just fucking stupid. But, like, I enjoy knowing I can get on a plane without the cabin depressurizing and me flying out over the fucking continent, <laughs> you know, there's, there's just some critical thought and nuance that has to go into like, okay, the U S government is overinflated. It spends its money in all the wrong places. And it has a bunch of regulations that are fucked. But at the same time, 
that doesn't mean that all regulations are fucked. The only purpose of a government that is worth a shit actually falls in line with uh, Bakunin, who said in matters of boots, refer to the bootmaker. If there is a government agency that deals a lot more with like the physiology of vaginas than I do, then maybe they should be the ones to figure out how to safely put things in there. So I'm going to push back on that a little bit. And the reason why the regulation doesn't work, as you can see, there's still businesses as, such as this business uh, overseas. Granted that you it worked uh, in the United States, dog. It, it worked in the United women, States, but it, it saved it's, women it's, here where they did it. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the issue. Here's why regulation isn't the only way to go because a business wouldn't want to kill off their actual, their customers because it undercuts profits. There are definitely margins that are tolerable for like killing off your customers that you can, you could deal with as a, as a large yeah, tobacco company. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You, you get them addicted to something. Uh, that's also not every industry and the impl or the, uh, uh, applying that to every single industry when there it, are bad faith actors. It kind and, of is every industry. I mean, he's talking, we're talking about margins. I mean, not to cut you off, but I mean, with, you could take any industry and if your profit is X and the deaths only cost you a loss to Y and that's smaller than X. This gets back to the unethical thing. Like no matter what product you're producing or what you're doing, you are going to be incentivized to cut corners and do things that are unethical, possibly unsafe for your customers or whatever. Like, if that will save you money, if that will net you 1% profit this quarter, like you're going I'm interested to, to hear him finish though. Sorry. Where, yeah, yeah. Where's this going? I, I don't know. I wanted to say, let, let, let me let him finish. And then I kind of wanted to steer us in a different direction so that we're not uh, just, just fighting the whole time. Cause yeah. I, this, this is great. Um, I do have um, some things like prepared that we can do. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely want to dive more into a few things that are, that are going to be a little bit more comfortable, but please, please finish your thoughts. Yeah, sorry about that, Jacob. No, you're good. Um, I mean, you're coming out and saying that only profit kills. And that's, that's the only reason why people would want to gain any profit, any capital is all profit, all industries, it all kills. And that it's just simply not true. The, the reason why certain industries, uh, is specifically the tobacco industry, are still able to sell such a deadly product is because there isn't anything that uh, actually comes out and competes against them. They have lobbyists that pay millions of dollars to be able to buy these politicians to put in regulations in place that benefit the tobacco industry and nothing that turns around and could actually knock them out of the what running be, place. What would be the libertarian solution to cigarette companies without a government? Like there's no there's cigarette companies, there's no government. How I don't do know. We haven't even gone down that road. Oh. So how, I mean, if you had to speculate, what would, what would you, I mean, what do you think? Like, I don't know. Well, first of all, I wouldn't have a uh, uh, lobbyist being able to buy off politicians. That, no, that I mean, like, let's say you have my first thing. You have in Kapistan, you have no government, but you still have cigarette companies. Like, what do you do with them? Like you just boycott them and hope to go out of business. What do you do? How about cigarettes are unhealthy. Don't smoke them. Where's the accountability on the consumer? Yeah. I mean, they do that now and we kind of just let people die, which I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't really feel strongly about cigarettes. Also, like, I feel their like, choice. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel too strongly about cigarettes other than I am really bothered by the long, like the decades long campaign to put out misinformation about cigarettes that say that they're not dangerous, you know? Yeah, and I would argue that the reason that they've been able to do that for so long is these 
tobacco companies coming in and being able to buy off the politicians. But there's there's the well, arm that's not political. Doctors. Like they were also yeah, able to hire scientists and doctors and fake studies and do whatever. Like there was a lot of media that went in there. Yeah, had nothing no, to do I with agree at all. I agree. Yeah. No, it, that definitely does come from government because it allows them to do it. Yeah, because regula- these re- regulation absolutely stop. Uh, I'm sorry, not stop. Regulation is what put the stamps on cigarette boxes. Yeah, so stop them advertising it, on yeah, TV. You, you keep saying like, yeah, okay, I agree. We, we need to tell people that they kill, but how do you do that? If you can't force them to put that on the box, then what's the suggestion? What's the alternative to regulation? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, my, my thought on this is pretty simple. It, it comes down to uh, you still have a court system for, uh, you know, for, for any grievance that you might have. If somebody's making false claims, that's fraud. And uh, they should be punished for that. You shouldn't be able to commit fraud. You shouldn't be able to make uh, false claims. Okay, so if, if I say that I'm selling a pill that's going to make your brain operate 15% better, it's fucking brain pills, and I sell that, is that the same thing? Is that also something you would try and, and commit for fraud? If I can prove that that is untrue, then, then, then you're making fraudulent claims and you should not be doing that. Sounds like regulation, but I mean, I agree with it. Well, it, it, it's, it's more, it's more of a, one is a front end thing. And the fr- you got to think the front end side of the regulations, it's, it's always tied not just to a regulation. The regulation comes with subsidies for these companies. It comes with tax breaks for these companies. It's a package of things that are designed, not necessarily for the safety of the individuals, but it's designed to prop up certain companies so, so small businesses can't compete. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it, as far as like government collusion with major companies, we're all in agreement. Um, <laughs> but I, I will say like, there's this, this myth that I've seen in you know, the lib right sector where it's like, okay, well, a company fucks up and it gets out that they fucked up and people will take their support away from that company due to volunteerism um, and they'll choose to support better alternatives, right? Um, that's a really, really common one and line of logic in lib right. But what that does, is it sort of ignores the material analysis of, of how capital actually functions as well as classism. Um, at the end of the day, you know, the, the factory owners, they all go to the same bar to drink. They all go to the same country club. They talk. The movers and the shakers, they hang out together. The workers, they hang out in their own area. The movers and the shakers, they'll sell their companies to each other. They'll move them back and forth. They'll make umbrellas. And this is, has nothing to do with the government. This is just how class functions. If you have more money and the entry fee to the country club is more money, you guys wind up shooting the ship together a lot more and boom, nepotism happens. The thing is, whether or not there was a regulatory entity like a government, you're still going to have collusion between people in the same class. They're going to limit their product margins based on their own interests and the interests of their friends at the country club. They're going to make sure that they have each other's asses covered. The way that this, that Libright thinks that free market will function ignores class entirely. And that's part of the reason why, like, if you are interested in having a local economy that is flourishing, that works well and is as autonomous as possible, the workers need to own that property, period. You can't have some asshole 2,000 miles away at a country club with a bunch of other assholes because that directly undermines the idea of personal accountability, freedom, mobility. 
all these things that are claimed to be touted by that sector is undermined by the very visceral reality that if you don't own your labor, you don't own shit. So what, what's to stop uh, people from coming together and forming worker-owned businesses? What, what's, what, what is stopping that from happening? Well, probably a competitor with a lot of money who wants to hire his own Mick Army and put him down since there's no law of the land. And that competitor would be uh, receiving subsidies and tax breaks and would write the regulations <laughs> that would allow your organization to have difficulties to be able to form and do what, what exactly what you're saying you'd like to do. I'd love a world where that, where that could happen. But I think it needs to happen organically. I don't think I don't think that's a law that that makes that happen. There's no law preventing you from doing it. There's laws making it difficult to do it because of these regulations. I mean, dude, we've seen what happens when there is enough pushback against wealthy industrialists and capitalists. They hire people like the Pinkertons. They hire private militias. They'll put you down with or without a government. It doesn't matter if there's a government backing you with subsidies. It doesn't matter at all. They can hire their own. Look at Academy, Blackwater. Look at the, again, the Pinkertons in, in the late 1800s and 1900s. That had no government oversight whatsoever. The government looked at it and they're like, this is fine. That had nothing to do with government. That was just plain business owners murdering union. Plain and simple. The, the federal government was in no position to have even a hand in that. In fact, a bunch of private fucking company owners hired people in planes at Blair Mountain to bomb union members. Like, it, it can't get any more clear-cut than that. They hired their own army with planes, with bombs, to bomb people protesting, and that had nothing to do with the government. That would violate the harm principle. It my certainly heart. would. Yeah, but then what do you do? Like, <laughs> then what? Like... <laughs> Then what? There's still a bunch of dead uh, bomb union members. Oh shit! Like they broke the rules. <laughs> the, the the problem with the unions though is they also force out competition. So some do. I mean, That's the, true. So I mean, I honestly didn't really agree with much of anything that you said, and, and you know the the Pinkertons. It, that whole situation was just fucked. It, it was yeah, it was just terrible. Was. So, what don't you agree with the, though? Like what what I fundamentally disagree with is the notion that all industry, all capital, all capitalists are all going to act the same. I fundamentally disagree with treating every person the exact same. You could definitely have businesses that don't hurt people because maybe you're just making, you're selling lemonade or something. Like you literally just making like paper dolls. I have no idea. Like what you could make like a totally innocuous, not dangerous product at all. That could definitely happen. But my point is that like the incentive structure is still there. The incentive structure of like the um, infinite expansion paradigm of capitalism, making more profits year over year, quarter over quarter, that's always going to incentivize you to cut something that will endanger people in some way. And it's like all I have, people I have, works from all people work from incentives. Everybody. Yeah. yeah, and capitalism has perverse incentives that incentivize you to do things like the main problems that I have with capitalism as a system is that it it shoves off externalities. Like we've done multiple episodes on externalities of different kinds. Like when we talked about Teflon or when I go on my rants about asbestos or whatever, like we've known since the ancient Greeks that asbestos gives you fucking lung problems. They knew back then that the slaves that they had mining it would die very early lung problems. And we still use it or still used it because it was cheap, even knowing, sorry, go ahead, sorry. 
Just say again, Trump made asbestos legal to use in building Dude, materials it's like, again. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's where, you know, a government would come in or a regulation would come oh, in. Oh, God. Um, I kind of want to get to like some of the stuff that I wrote down here. And let yeah. me just, I'll blow through some of it so you guys can hear like what I have. But go ahead, Stone. I, I just wanted to say uh, one thing I, I do want to discuss before we get too deep that I, that I think will be a little bit more comfortable and, and we can have a, a little bit uh, easier debate, maybe, maybe not even a debate, is I'm kind of curious, like I do, and forgive me for being a little bit ignorant of, of a lot of your views. I mean, clearly you guys are very educated. I mean, I was very happy to see that, you you know, some uh, very important events, you, you're well read. Uh, so that, I mean, I'm not saying it was surprising, but it was certainly uh, a welcomed experience but no you can say it's kind of surprising just a little bit <laughs> but it's cool there's some anarchists that are in in my area that are just fucking dumb so <laughs> you know. and so my what i was getting at is i know bits and pieces of, of that ideology but i what i don't really understand and maybe you can help me and our listeners is what the kind of end goal for it is i know like with communism you know the end goal is like the the utopian the the idea of communism is that you have a country by the time and it may be it may get ugly it may take some work but by the end of it your goal is to have a country where the true will of the majority of the people that live there is what actually happens in the land. Your, your government policy is reflective of the actual will of the majority. So if you do have a minority that really wants things a certain way, they're kind of shit out of luck. And, you know, there's a lot of philosophers in history that have taken issue to not only communism, but even democracy in general they they've seen like issues they have with democracy which is if you happen to be in the minority in a democracy things could get really ugly for you and in communism our view is kind of uh fuck those people and not not necessarily fuck those people but that the will of the majority outweighs them whatever the will of the people as a whole is should just be what we do because we've tried it so many ways with a minority and trying to have a benevolent, you know, wise and educated call the shots. And every single time that goes bad, we would rather just say, you know what, whatever everyone wants to do collective is just how we should do it. Um, so that, that's kind of my question. Like what, what, is, what is your end goal? Like what, what society do you really see? How do you want it to work? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to answer that. Uh, I would like to say though, um, that interesting hearing you say that, uh, whatever the majority wants to do, uh, that would also mean that if the majority decides to jump on board with my ideas, one hundred percent, you being in the minority, you'd have to live with that under what you just said, right? So, Abs absolutely uh, agreed. Yeah. So, so my my vision, my uh, subscription to belief is that uh, there's certain inalienable rights, and I prioritize virtues such as liberty over things such as equality. Um, and I, I believe that the ultimate minority is the individual and that the rights are assigned not to a collective, they're assigned to an individual. And if we, if we really want a moral society, in my opinion, the best way to organize that is to just have hyper recognition of individual rights. If we do that, 
then you have the right to organize. You want to buy property and you want to live in a commune and you guys want to grow your hair out and not wear deodorant, whatever the stereotype is for, uh, for communists. I don't know. We, we, got a bunch of, <laughs> we got a bunch of weirdos on our side too, right? So uh, whatever you want to do, I think that that's okay. Like, like I, I think the, the, the one difference between my ideology of, of favoring, you know, liberty, individual liberty and uh, maximizing that to the, the max quo is that in that vision, y'all would be free to do, do what you want to do. The, the difference is, is that if your vision came to fruition, I wouldn't be able to do what I want to do. And I think that's where the problem lies. Um, I would say in that version, you would think that you'd be free to do whatever you want to do, but in reality, the freedom that you have is to work for whatever local warlord or capitalist hegemon owns like the, all the businesses in your area because the capital has accumulated upward and that's the freedom that you have. Whereas like in our system, everyone would have a basic bottom floor of what there would be no talk about winners and losers because there would be no losers anymore. Like everyone would be guaranteed a basic standard of living. And then, yeah, if you want to work harder and you want to like produce a lot more and you want to own a business, you could even do that under socialism. Um, at least as I conceive of it, but like, it just wouldn't be this thing that you could exploit people and everyone would be guaranteed, like I said, a basic standard of living. So you don't have the losers. And I think that is much more free and you're more free to do what you actually want to do in that situation. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah. So here's, what's interesting. Um, and I, I, not enough people talk about this, but going back to Thomas Paine, Thomas Paine talked about uh, you know, respecting the rights of the individual, but also, uh, you know, having a, a real empathy for the common good. And so it's like, you've got to respect the rights of the individual with goals that are set for the common good. And then people like Hayek, you wouldn't think like an Austrian uh, economics uh, professor is, uh, is theorizing things that look a lot like UBI today. And in fact, Milton Friedman, who you guys probably loathe, uh, you know, is, is yeah. somebody that, you know, that, that proposed a reverse income tax which you know works in a way that would create a safety net, and so those are things that I think you guys are probably more familiar with those things than when I talk to people that are right of center that they have no idea that Hayek, uh, Friedman, and Thomas Paine were advocates of these social safety nets. And I think that there's a way that you can do that with still having a heavy emphasis on individual rights. And I, I just wonder if you know if, if if you guys have ever thought about you know the right wing version of social safety. Yeah, real quick, and and kind of more of a question to you. I mean, we're we're talking about individual rights and individual goals, but on the left, we talk more of a a collective objective, a collective goal. So, if our goal is to have a country where everyone has water, food, plenty of time off, and they can enjoy their life, what you're describing is not necessarily that. I'm not saying it's not that. But you haven't defined it as that. You've defined it more as a list of opportunities, a list of options. If you want to be right, left, whatever, whatever you want to do, that you kind of have the opportunity for any of that. We're saying we want to take away any of the issues that really exist that make it hard to live. We want you to have a home guaranteed. We want you to have food guaranteed. Even if you don't go work, like a lot of us, even on the authoritarian. Also, a job guaranteed if you want to work. Yeah, a lot of us on the authoritarian left believe that you should have a house, food, water, you know, you name it, even if you just sit on your couch and play Xbox all day and don't even want to fucking go outside and do a job. 
And then we believe in meritocracy, which is where if you do go do that, you're going to have a better standard of living. But there's a bottom line, no matter how much of a lazy slob you want to be, there's always a bottom line. And to like me, that, though, that prison in Denmark that's going around, you guys see that? Everybody's like wanking yeah. off over that prison in Denmark. It's like a little apartment. Everybody's like, this is what prisoners <laughs> in Denmark is. Like, that's yeah, it. It should be like the basic standard of living for everybody. There's enough room. There's enough resources. The, those are those are our inalienable rights, is that you should be comfortable and have a respectable condition of living regardless of, of what's going on because we have advanced enough through society. Hey, Jaren, go ahead and jump in. Um, this, this fundamental break in terms of rights is illustrated pretty clearly um, between the other architects post-French Revolution and John Jacques Rousseau, who, you know, despite supporting individual rights and, and of course, a bill of rights and, and self-determination and things like that, was also adamantly against private property. And again, you know, we're not talking about personal property. We're not talking about the fruits of your labor, your house, your toothbrush, your car, or whatever. But we are talking about things that generate objects of necessity, you know, a water treatment plant, uh, somewhere that, that generates lumber to build houses, things that are of the common good. And there's a lot of free thought here in the various anarchist schools of which I treasure personally, because like the definition of freedom to someone like y'all is probably self-determination to the point that everyone is so accountable for their actions that if they fall short of necessities, that's their fucking fault. They're stupid. And that's just how it shakes out. The world is brutal. Is that somewhat accurate? I don't want to straw man you. Hey, Jacob, you want to, you want to take that? Um, so here's where it gets kind of interesting, at least from our side. Sean and I probably have different opinions on exactly that definition. And you talk to people within at least the Libertarian Party or even outside the Libertarian Party, but are on the same political spectrum, and you'll probably get different answers from every single person. Sure. So for myself personally, I would say that that's a pretty fair argument or a, a pretty fair uh, way to place at least how I feel. However, it wouldn't be so, uh, I guess, callous in, in the sense that if somebody failed, yeah, it's probably their fault, but that doesn't mean I'm just going to kick them to the curb and they're just nothing to me. You know, I, I do have room for compassion in there and actually do care about wanting to see people be able to eat, be able to drink clean water. So a uh, okay. little caveat for, for me. So there. if I may continue with the thought, then if, if that is a view held somewhere on that spectrum, and I know everybody has their own intricacies here, but the thing to me is the definition of freedom that I believe in, it is predicated on mutual aid, the old Kropotkin trope, which is if there is mutual aid to be had on a large scale, it would resemble something like government operated in a, a decent and moral way. However, my definition of freedom is that not everybody wants to fight their entire lives when we have a surplus of necessities. Not everybody wants to do what I do where I build a business from the ground up and work late nights and wake up early all the fucking time. That's what I like to do because there's something wrong with me. <laughs> Not everybody wants to do that. You know, some people just want to fucking have a good life, drink a couple beers, you know, see friends, get married, good food, good sex, like just live. That's freedom. And if we can support that with a mutual safety net of some kind where you don't have to claw your way out of bed every single day, I think that's freedom. 
And I know that that would require some sort of overarching body that is in some way benevolent. But I, I do believe as an idealist that that is possible. It's certainly not the U.S. government. That's fucking true. And nothing could be more antithetical than the U.S. government to what I'm describing. But freedom to me is not this brutal regression into like the dark ages, but with modern technology, it's, it's an enlightenment of, you know what, if you get sick, you don't go into debt. It doesn't cost you a dime because we made more of this than we need. We got your water. We got your food. If you don't want to be on that nine to five grind and play the, the fucking game, you don't have to. I actually agree with what I have no problem with that. I, I think uh, what's interesting to me is I, as well. I, just, I just don't want government to be the coercive actor that takes the money to redistribute it. What I would prefer is to see voluntary funding. And, and, and if we stop the coercive you, you know, uh, actions from the government, we wouldn't have to worry about the money getting pillaged from us that goes to fund things that are just abhorrent, like the, like the wars that we have that are uh, you know, unconstitutional and yeah. just creating devastation. I think we would probably all agree on a lot of these types of issues, right? And, and so I can only speak for myself on this issue, but while I, I, I do believe it's moral to allow a society to have that freedom to succeed or fail, if somebody wants to check out, if they want to check out, that's their desire, I'm not going to stop them from doing that. However, I got a big heart. If somebody is in need, if somebody needs something and it's something that I can help with, I wish the government was out of my paycheck so I had a deeper capacity to be able to help in meaningful ways and not just put money through bureaucratic programs where the money like spins around through administration and never actually solves a problem. But if you knew that instead of your money going to Boeing, Raytheon, Halliburton, it was going to the homeless people. And I think it's safe to say everyone here tonight has given a homeless man money or homeless woman money. Like, you know, we, we all are kind to the, to things that other people go through. If you knew that the government was taking that same money and instead of giving it to like these large, you know, just war criminals and was giving it to these people to make sure that that homeless man that you had already given a $20 bill to had a roof over his head that night, I take it none of us have issue with that. I just don't trust the government to do it as efficiently as we could do it. I think, I think that if you look at like, if you take drug use, for example, I I'm all for ending the drug war and, uh, you know, providing education on why people should stay away from them. Uh, take the stigma away from if somebody raises their hand and says, I want help. We could, we could provide programs that help people. What's interesting is that the most effective way of pulling people out of addiction is not a government run program at all. It's a complete voluntary association of, of people that come together and, and, and show up at meetings. Some people are court ordered to do it, but if you've ever been to those types of meetings, nobody actually, all you have to do is show up, you sign your name, nobody cares. You know, you've met your court requirement. So nobody's like that, that whole court ordered thing. It doesn't really work. But when somebody really wants help, they go to this private organization of people that have assembled that actually give a shit. That's the difference between what I would like to see and the government. I think um, when it comes to drug addiction specifically, I heard it best on a different podcast. I think it was probably Capitalism Hits Home or something. But they said the opposite of addiction is not necessarily sobriety. The opposite of addiction is community. And it's like when people 
feel like they have a community of friends and family or whatever, they don't feel the need to like alter their state of mind because they're, if they're content with their life, basically. And that's kind I of what they we, were getting at. Yeah. We can all say that we've I used agree. drugs at some point to escape a material condition. Yeah. And I and think that, doing... um, well, I just was, I was going to follow that up by saying that like, when it comes to drug addiction, I think that that's a direct result of alienation under capitalism because it pushes everyone to be an individual. Like you are an individual making it alone. That is the difference between capitalism and communism, the collectivist versus individualist thing. And I do, again, want to get to some of the stuff that I've written down here because I have three different sections that we can get to. But if you guys wanted to say anything before I do, if you have any last things. No, the, the last thing I would just say is that the, with the individual thing is that you have the freedom of association. You can join a church. You can join a social club. You can yeah, but a lot of people a- don't know that, like, I think there's a lot of people who are, like, are alienated and don't even realize that that's the problem. You know what I mean? Like they don't like they're alone all the time. I would argue that that's a societal thing, and that's something we definitely need to correct. Uh, I I don't agree that that's a a capitalism problem. Well, I would have to disagree there, but go ahead, Sterling. Well, j- when I started earlier, it was to get to a specific question, so I just wanted to get to this real quick and, and get. Yeah, I was going to get to like prepared right. notes, and then I was I thought you had something quick, and it's been twenty minutes. Like. <laughs> Okay, sorry. I I was getting there. So where I was getting at is Sean had made a comment about if we were in a communist society and the collective as a whole, you know, actually voted and we're like, no, capitalism, this is what's up. Capitalism is lit. Sucks for all you communists. I'd be okay with it. I can't speak for all communists. I'd be okay with that if that was the actual true democratic will. And if you were to have that vote in the United States today... That would probably be the collective vote. But my rebuttal to that is United States citizens are not educated. And and I want to use a real world example. During the Bernie campaign, Bernie went on CNN, he went on MSNBC, a few other news organizations that typically refuse to platform him unless they're asking him a specific question that has nothing to do with what he, anything that's actually fucking useful. They always want to get him on just to say, oh, you know, Elizabeth Warren said X, Y, Z. How do you feel about Cuba, Bernie? Right, exactly. They'll never actually platform him and say, why don't you explain to us how Medicare for all works? They'll never do that because they don't want their listeners to know. It's, it's funny. The liberals are much more bureaucratic and right wing in a lot of ways than the actual conservatives are. And like Fox News, they had Bernie on one time and they're not used to people like Bernie and they weren't really prepared for how to shut it down in the way CNN knows how to shut down Bernie. And during this interview, one of the people asked Bernie how Medicare for All works. They had like uh, 50, 60 people right there in the studio Yeah, this audience. is before COVID. Oh, it was incredible. My father was watching it, who's like, you know, diehard right-wing conservative. And during this, they asked him how would it work. He actually broke it down and described it. They handed the mic back to one of the conservatives in the crowd, and they said, I like that. And then and then they they said they said as a show of hands, who thinks that this is a good idea? Like 80% of them rose their fucking yeah, hands. It was very popular. They didn't know what to do. My father was like, this guy, I thought he was crazy. Those are great ideas. And that's my thing. If if we had actual uh presidential debates or when we put them on stages we asked them questions that were actually valuable to the people we let them describe what medicare for all is and not just talk about whether or not oh well, you know medicare right now is already shit and then move on to the next guy real quick and that's my thing is if we gave people true unbiased information to understand all of the different components even ideologies all of these things 
I do believe the United States would vote on a system that was more truly democratic, truly meritocratic and communist. And that, that's kind of where I was going with you. Like, Let me just tie this off and then we'll move to those prepared notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, just Sorry. To say, I totally agree. And you're preaching to the choir about not being platformed. Libertarians, it, third parties in general, do not get to the debate stage. You have a debate commission that's this bipartisan group that sets the rules where you have to get uh, you have to poll in five separate polls at 15%. And here's the catch. In 2020, when they do these polls, they don't even list the names of the third-party candidates. So it's virtually impossible unless somebody, you know, just blurted out a name, uh, you know, that wasn't even an option in order to get to that, that, uh, that, that uh, threshold. So when you hear bipartisan, they're not doing us any favors. What we need, need to get is either nonpartisan or, or a really uh, you know, open platform where we have a lot of ideas. I would love you know, a, a situation where we have folks like yourselves that are on the stage advocating for what you want, have uh, libertarians uh, you know, of, of some ilk uh, representing what they want, and allow that exchange of ideas to actually be in an unfettered way. But I know you guys got some other things you want to get to, so I, I appreciate it. I Just to, to your last point, Sean, I think this will be a hot take, but like, I think the reason that the far left isn't platform is because we're a threat to capital. Like our ideas are a threat to the actual elites and the people who are running the show, like not like the real cabals, like the actual cabals that exist. Like, yeah. And, and the far right doesn't get platform, like libertarian right even don't get platform because they have batshit ideas like letting five-year-olds buy heroin with Bitcoin. Like that's the, that's why they don't get platform. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, like, third parties, it might be hard to get in for all third parties, but, like, you don't have the FBI doing co-intel pro on right-wing groups. That's happening only on the left. I, I would uh, strongly no, argue no, 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 against no. that. There definitely is still, like, Gladio-style stuff going on. I would, we could get into those. I mean, that could be a whole thing we could talk about. But let me, so, like I said, I have some notes here. I have three sections that I kind of started writing. Maybe it's four now, because I was writing some stuff while we were talking. I almost wanted to start off with this, like, we did this before. We had another libertarian, like ANCAP kind of guy on before that was Dunk. And on the episode itself, he, like, was, he, an was, idiot. Very, he was very civil. Like it was cool. Like it, the episode itself was fine. And it wasn't until after that, like it really went down because I followed him on, on Instagram, which I hadn't before. And then I see his post and then I find out like all his crazy takes on everything, like just some really bad shit views they had. So I wanted to ask you guys and sort of nail down some of your points of view on some key issues. I'll, let me just run through the whole list because we could probably talk about any one of these for a while. But so what I, what I wrote down was, um, so where do you stand on these issues? Uh, QAnon, uh, cabals like Pizzagate, the Wayfair thing, Save the Children, any of that. Um, COVID and the vaccine, uh, the 2020 election and the whole Stop the Steal thing, like whether you think that was a legitimate election. I could ask you guys about gender, trans rights specifically. Um, Can I take the first two and then you hand it to Jacob? I'll, I'll take the first two, the QAnon and all the conspiracy stuff and then the, the vaccine stuff and then hand it to Jacob and he could, he could walk you through his thoughts on that. Uh, real quick. QAnon, all like bad ideas need to be countered with good ideas. Uh, when you have people that are talking, oh, I hate that so much. Okay, sorry. It, 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 you can hate it all you want, but but when people are saying dumb shit, staying silent about it is not is is not solving the problem. Co-signing with it's certainly not solving the problem. What people need to do is they need to speak out and say this fucking shit is weird, it's crazy, and don't trust any of these fucking people. Right? Like it, it, like when people are doing weird shit, you got to call them out on their weird shit. Um, the vaccines, look, I've got the vaccine. I'm, I'm pro-science. I'm pro-medicine. But more, most importantly, I'm pro-medical freedom. 
where I start to break the other way is when we start talking about mandates and what somebody must do, you know, in order for this greater good. It's like, no, there's so many nuances that I think a policy cannot be a one size fit all. They're not allowing the religious exemptions. There's even cases that just don't make sense for somebody to get vaccinated. You know, you got to show a vaccination card, even though you might have already had the antibodies built up because you already went through COVID. The idea of having a, a, a mandate to me, I think, is just abhorrent. I would compare it to uh, to uh, the actions that led to the Nuremberg trials, and I think that the oh, come on, push it, come on, I would, I would, I would, I would and I. I would say when it's all said and done, I think Dr. Fauci and his whole crew, uh, I think we should put them in the trial and, uh, you know, let the, let, the, let it fall where it falls. This one. Yeah, go ahead, Jerry. Go, go for it. Okay. This has nothing <laughs> in, it at all similar to Nazi Germany. And I'm going to be as respectful as possible when I tell you that you need to cut that shit out. Listen. Listen. If anything, the Germans actually removed mandatory vaccinations. That's why there were smallpox breakouts in the Third Reich, okay? The Nuremberg trials referred specifically to human experimentation. mRNA technology, I'm a former science teacher, is not experimental. It's why you don't have to worry about Zika, if you remember that old gem from a little while ago. It's been tested in humans up to stage three clinical trials. It works. Now, just because you can't get on a certain airline or go to see a Garth Brooks concert or your employer's <laughs> pissed off at you is not the same as going to trial because you murdered 6 billion Jews. You need oh to God. stop that. You can have plenty of other objections, but for your own fucking sake, stop it. That one is so triggering to me, man. That is not worth, you're smarter than that. Come up with something else. You can even use bodily autonomy. That's better. But like when you bring up Nazis and government mandate, like, oh, it's a slippery slope. Guess what they'd be doing if this was bad for people? They'd be giving it exclusively to black and brown people. The fact that they're encouraging whitey to get it means it's fucking safe because we can afford Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. They're certainly trying to get black people to take it. And I understand the hesitancy. Given As do I, but like, that comparison, man. What would you I'm say? Sorry to you? Go, I'm sorry to go in on you like that, but like, no, I, I, I appreciate it. I, I, I that wasn't like, even that bad. I've seen no, people they, tear into him way harder. No, I'm, <laughs> trying, I'm trying to reach out with an olive branch instead of hitting you with it. Like, that's not. <laughs> I, I, could take, I could take it. Here's here's the bottom line. I like to overstate that position, and I'll acknowledge that I'm overstating it because the discussion needs to be had that medical coercion is not okay. It equals malfeasance, and it's not okay. Like I accept your point that it's not the same as what uh, is what the Nazis were doing in Nuremberg. Yeah, yeah, like I would acknowledge that. That's a that's a purpose overstatement to get a reaction. But I do have a strong uh, position against medical coercion. I think medical freedom is super duper important, and I don't think we should give that up. And so I'm willing to overstate that to get the conversation going. How would you feel about polio? I think polio is much different. Uh, it, it, when I talk to my doctor about it. My doctor even said the polio vaccine was designed to prevent you from getting polio. Uh, this particular vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting it. What it prevents you from, it's more like a flu shot. Let's be honest. This is designed to give you better outcomes. And I'm not against It also the does prevent you from getting it. What is it, like 90-something percent effective preventing you from getting it? But then if you do get it, despite that, your symptoms are much less severe. 
Yeah, I, I don't want to argue efficacy of the vaccine because I believe in science. I believe in medicine. I have been vaccinated and I'll yeah. probably get I'll probably get the booster. That's not my position at all. My position is people should maintain the autonomy to be able to make that decision. That's all my position is on. Okay. So it, it's safe to say that you believe the vaccine is effective and safe for you to get it. Yeah, I believe that uh, with the studies that that I've read, the challenges that arise are no different than the standard risk that goes along with anything else. You could have an adverse reaction to anything. And so I, I think that uh, that there's an acceptable level of risk, and especially like I'm not the thinnest dude in the world. So, you know, pre-existing conditions, all that kind of stuff. It made sense for me to get it. Yeah. Do, do you also believe that in taking the vaccine, you've you've not only increased the safety of yourself, you know, versus the side effects versus uh, potential of not of if you didn't get it, is better for yourself. Do you also believe it's better for those around you since you have a less chance of getting it? You've got less chance of giving it to someone else. You believe you you've made a good choice for others. Well, I, I think you could also make an argument that when you get vaccinated, that you start doing riskier behavior. And I'll, and I'll explain what, what I mean by that. Um, no, I could, to, I could definitely see that because I've done the, I've done exactly yeah, that since I've been vaccinated. Same. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so prior to getting vaccinated, I was at home. I had, uh, you know, Instacart delivering food. And then as soon as I got the vaccination, waited a couple of weeks, I was good to go. I'm out at the casino playing poker and hanging out with everybody. And so uh, you could still catch it. You could still spread it. And I, I would say that I've actually been a bigger risk to society since I've been vaccinated than before. Because I was, I, I work from home, so I was able to isolate myself. I was fortunate in that way. So I, I, I think in many ways, at least me personally, I'm a bigger risk since I got vaccinated. Do you believe that being a risk to society is, is something, is like a bad thing? Like, say you didn't get the vaccine and yet you carried on the same exact behaviors you've carried on since you've got the vaccine. Do you believe that's wrong? Do you believe there should be recourse for that? Yeah, I, I think this is where we get into a touchy-feely uh, perspective around the harm principle and some other competing ideologies and thoughts. Um, ultimately, if somebody wants to protect themselves from pandemic, I think the ultimate responsibility is on the behavior that they do to protect themselves. But I absolutely think that there is a level of carelessness and just like obtuse nature of some people that, that are willfully disregarding any type of common sense advice that might be helpful to their neighbors. And I think that that like those are the same people Jacob and I have talked about. These are the same people that don't put their shopping carts away. You know what I mean? Like it, uh, it's, yeah. you know, they're just not polite people. So, so if you, if you agree that there are certain people that if they don't get the vaccine and they carry on careless behavior and they put other people at risk and that, you know, is a bad thing, potentially even a punishable thing. You, you didn't say that, but I'm assuming that maybe that's in the realm of thought. I mean, how is that different? than a regulation of a mandate for the vaccine to do that. Well, because so I think the problem with it risk. is, if we go back to my earlier point, I don't think that I am, uh, me getting vaccinated helped me. I don't think me being vaccinated helps other people. Again, I, I believe that like, I, I present a bigger risk now just because of the behavior that I have since I've been vaccinated. Do you think that's a bad thing? Maybe, uh, maybe I should stay my ass at home. I mean, quite frankly, maybe I should. I mean, at least wear a mask. I have no objection to wearing a mask. I, I, I think that there's, there's some hypocritical, um, you know, policies around it. When you walk into a restaurant magically, like when you sit down, like you can take Agreed. your mask off and the, in the, and, and it goes away. Capitalism. So, yeah. I mean, that doesn't, yeah. <laughs>
Are we tying that back to capitalism? Is that the capitalism <laughs> well, oh, I then. mean, I, the criticism I would make for the entire COVID thing was that, you know, America half-assed it because they would instill regulations when it hurt people that they could implement regulations against, like, you know, small businesses, individuals and everything. You could obviously like punish those people, but like when it comes to businesses, oh, they just got, it was all lip service. There was no like holding employers accountable for endangering their employees. There was no anything like that. Like the commerce had to flow. The spice must flow. <laughs> Would you have been okay with handling this in a way where businesses put a sign outside that says, hey, we don't care about vaccination cards. We don't care about masks. Come in at your own risk. And then have other businesses that are like, you know, we care about our employees. Everybody's vaccinated. You must show your vaccination card and just leave it on the business owner to either like once upon a time before you had laws around like you can't smoke in bars. You had bars that were non-smoking. You had bars that were smoking. If you didn't want to be around smoke, you don't go to the bar where there's people smoking. Yeah. I think in my opinion, I think that would be a more sensible solution than what we're doing. And you kind of, I kind of agree. Well, I think I wanted to say this earlier, but Sterling, I thought you were kind of going in this direction. I'll clarify it more, but I want to see what Jaron has. Go ahead, buddy. That is a false comparison. Um, lung cancer, pregnancy, things like that. They're not transmissible. They also don't mutate over time like a virus. Again, this is a realm where I'm pretty familiar with it. If you have a control group that does not allow people in who are not taking the proper precautions, there will not be mutagens present or at the very least, there will be a significantly smaller number of mutagens present from the, the pathogen that we're talking about. If there are a bunch of other places that allow people in to socialize and don't give a single fuck, that is where the virus can mutate and change into the Delta variant or the Zeta variant or whatever the fuck variant is going to happen next because this country's dumb as hell. The thing is, is like the assumption that everyone's individual actions have absolutely no impact on society as a whole. It's, I mean, a virus is really a perfect analogy. It's, it's empirically false. What you do in, affects everyone around you. And the virus is a great metaphor for that. We have a Delta variant because enough Americans were dumb enough to not protect themselves and not protect the people around them. We gave the virus a safe place to mutate and work its way around the vaccine. That's exactly how the flu usually works. That's just a completely false comparison. If you're a smoker and you go to a smoking bar and you understand the effects of not only smoking, but secondhand smoke, you understand the risks and lung cancer is not transmissible. A virus is 100% transmissible and we are dragging this out. We're probably going to be dealing with COVID now for a very long time. And that makes pharmaceutical companies very happy. We didn't want to give Pfizer our money up front, but now they get it on the back end anyway, that we, we get screwed no matter what we do. <laughs> They're probably stoked about it. What I wanted to say, I mean, do you guys have any response to that before I do? No, I was going to say something pedantic. I'll move on. Okay. Uh, well, what I was going to say is like, kind of to Sterling's point earlier, like what I would want, I think, is consistency. The problem I have with the right who advocates for so-called medical freedom or whatever, is like, to me, this seems very clearly like people who are confusing their individual liberty with the right to endanger others. And I feel like if you are going to be consistent about it, then we should have literally separate locations for people who believe that the virus is real and take it seriously and want to wear masks and vaccinate and want to actually get rid of this. And then the people who either don't think it's dangerous enough to take those measures or who don't believe it's real at all, because there's a whole spectrum of people who have all these different beliefs. And I think the problem 
is that libertarians want to be the ones drunk driving or you know knowingly having unprotected sex with people even though they know they have hiv or something you know using those as analogies for the coronavirus like you want to be able to just go out and live your life as normal knowing you may get infected with a respiratory virus that you could then give to other people and they may die from it even if you don't even if your symptoms were not that bad you could be killing other people through your negligent actions and libertarians just don't want to face that reality even though the consistent position would be you should cordon yourself off from everybody if you don't want to get vaccinated if you don't want to wear a mask you should separate yourself because we don't have the technology yet to tell who you infected and killed with your you know what i mean like we know we had the technology to know if you hit somebody with your car because you were driving drunk or you had sex with someone knowing you had a deadly std and you didn't you know wear a condom and you did that on purpose like but we don't have the technology to trace every molecule that comes out of your lungs and know if you infected somebody and killed somebody because they had a pre-existing condition maybe they didn't even know about you know what i mean and i think that would be the consistent position is like you could just be separate in your areas so I genuinely believe that you guys are arguing this in good faith. And I appreciate that because a lot of times when I get in this conversation, that's not what I run into. And I, so I appreciate that. The one thing that I just have to throw out there is that I did all of the things that you're suggesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I stayed at home. I isolated. When I did go out, I wore a mask. When as soon as the, the, the vaccine was available, I got it. Both shots. And then, then my behavior changed after I did what I was told to do. Am I safer in society now that I've gotten the vaccine? I would make the argument that we don't know. But like, like I, I could certainly say that before I did that, my behavior, I was restricted. So I was much less of a risk, at least with my particular behavior. I understand who you're calling out, the people that are just willfully reckless. I totally yeah, get I'm, that. I'm super glad you guys are not those type of libertarians. <laughs> but it's not just libertarians. It's not like this is not an exclusive thing to libertarians. I think that you definitely see a lot of more of the Trumpers that are, you know, that have decided to jump into the yeah. bandwagon. Um, and, and so I, I think where most libertarians have landed, uh, I live up in the Seattle area and we did a protest about the mandate and it was very specific. We, I was holding a sign the entire time uh, that said pro-vax, anti-mandate. And anybody that came up to talk, I was like advocating like, yeah, I think you should do the research. I think you should get, you know, you should get the jab. That's my position. I advise people to do that. But I just I just stopped short of the idea of the vaccination. And I, I do challenge the idea that going out there vaccinated, like that we have some assurance that that is a less risky behavior when we know that you can catch it, even though you've been vaccinated, you can share it, even though you've been vaccinated. There's probably better way. Like if you if you're going to mandate anything, we should have just said everybody fucking stay home. Like you know it, that would have been it, like if no, you were the way to handle. Yeah. Sorry, just to interject real quick. The way to handle this would have been for the government to just pay everyone to stay home for two weeks, pay businesses to stay closed, deliver everyone food and supplies so they could stay home for two weeks, and we could have been done with this right out of the gate. We could have just been could have just fixed it. Like if you just stop the spread, like you literally stop the spread. But the problem was so many people. Well, okay, it, it was a twofold problem. It was that the government didn't want to actually do that. They didn't want to actually extend their resources because they wanted to do the half-assed version. Like they sort of shut down businesses, but sort of didn't. And they sort of didn't let people go to work, but then essential workers obviously did. And that's everyone in every fucking grocery store and hospital and everything. So it's like, it was a very half-assed thing. And there's only obviously so much you can do, but like it should have been that everyone who absolutely did not need to go to work for two weeks stayed home. And everyone who did masked the fuck up and did every possible precaution. And then we could have actually gotten rid of this, but that would have required showing Americans that their government actually could shell out for them in an emergency. And then they would probably get used to that kind of thing. They'd probably say, oh, well, actually, we probably could have universal health care. Like if the government actually can do things for us, 
And I think that because the U.S. is so focused on doing whatever is good for businesses, instead we gave trillions of dollars to businesses and then didn't do anything for like working class people. And now we have this terrible thing where people now believe that it was all some kind of conspiracy because they got so fucked and the rich got so much richer. It's like the half-assed well, handling well, of it that well, was incentivized by capitalist incentives caused the problems that we're still seeing now. But, but what businesses? Because I would argue that's not capitalism because if, if, we were, if we were in a free market, we wouldn't be rewarding certain companies. We wouldn't have told certain companies they could stay open, other companies they need to close. Like the, the way that these things are handled, the picking and choosing of the winners and the government making those choices, it eliminates that from being a capitalist. No, I mean, if we were in a total free market, COVID wouldn't have been even worse. It would have just ripped through all of society and just, I don't know, laid waste to 1% of the earth. Herd immunity. Yeah, that's yeah, not that's a good all right. <laughs> it's just like advocating eugenics. And this is like where I think this kind of goes. It's like when we get to the end of it, it's like you're just kind of okay with people who are weaker dying. And that's like where it's like if we have the technology to save these people. If we have the ability, why wouldn't we do that? Well, but that's not what I'm advocating for. In fact, I'm clearly advocating for the opposite of that. I hid from this thing like to the best of my ability. I was I, like, I stayed in my house for months without. No, I understand. Eating. But like the free market position is just herd immunity, like you're saying. We would have we would have achieved that. It would it would have been a bloodbath. But people would have had the ability, the freedom to, to stay home if they wanted to. This is what what I don't get is that what is wrong with allowing people like myself that was like I don't want to catch that shit to stay home and not get it, not spread it. Yeah, a lot and, of people can't stay home in a free market. Like if you are working class and you have an office job and you could do it from Zoom, you could stay home for those two weeks. But a lot of people couldn't, and they have no choice in the free market to go to work. Like get Sterling, and then. It kind of kind of also back to the Bernie thing I was talking about. You know, if you have the largest media facilities, the largest organizations that are pushing out information that people on, you know, the American left and right are both uh, taking their advice from are extremely biased and are giving extremely unspecific information. No, no one even on CNN is going down the specifics of how the vaccine works. No one on MSNBC is explaining, hey, if we don't do this, you know, like this is with us forever. All they want to talk about is, yeah, get get the vaccine and go tell people to fuck off who don't get the vaccine. And then on, on Fox, they're basically doing the exact same thing from the other side where they're like, you know, it's, it's basically you're standing up and owning the libs by not getting the vaccine. Fox News is not sitting there and talking about you know, what happens if everyone stayed home for a couple of months and how we could actually eliminate a vaccine. So that, that's kind of my thing is you're, you're, you are an educated person. You did your research. You made the right choice. I wish that was the case with most people, especially on the right. They, they don't. They, they truly, in their heart, believe that they are being trampled on by the government. And in some ways, maybe they are. But I have right-wing family members who are not only anti-mandate, anti-mask, but are anti-vaccine because they feel like that is them standing up to a tyrannical government that is oppressing them and that there's some secret agenda if they were to get the vaccine. And that, you know, someone on Fox News will make a comment and say, there's no research to prove that this vaccine uh, can't make you infertile and that you'll never have children again, despite the fact that the vaccine is based on the exact same science we've been doing for a hundred fucking years now. I'm not saying that some people may not get infertile, but we've got some pretty goddamn clear medical science to say that that risk is far less than the fucking risk of, of not getting the vaccine. So that, that's kind of my point is 
and to use the right uh, vocabulary, the misinformation that is projected from both American uh, sides of the political spectrum. And obviously, we are not part of the American left because that we don't see them as anywhere close to the left. We don't even see them as the center. And me, at least alone, kind of sees them further right than even the conservatives. No, the left begins at anti-capitalism. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> Completely agreed. So to me, if you have the majority of the information that goes out to the American people is in no way convincing of the actual truth that I believe you believe, then is a mandate not the only solution you're left with? If the people are too ignorant because they've been so watered down with bullshit information and you have no other choice because you can't make CNN do a goddamn thing, you can't make Fox News do a goddamn thing, you can't make any of these people do anything, the only tool you have for a government is Jesus fucking Christ. If you don't get a vaccine, your business can't open. I mean, if that's all you've got to work with, is that not better than not doing it? Look, I, I, a lot of the points that you're arguing, you know, like we'd have to pull a Trumper in here to defend some of these positions yeah. that you're <laughs> that you're positing. But the only hill that I would die on here is uh, the government's authority to force somebody into, you know, into a medical procedure. And I understand that we differ, you know, that the greater good, you know, dictates that you would do it. I would just simply argue that we don't have the evidence that by having that mandate or by having everyone vaccinated, that that is somehow going to make everyone safe. I don't believe that to be uh, concretely true. Because I think that's like a I really said, weird, that's a, out of all the hills that you could die on in this kind of scenario, that's the weirdest one. Like, because essentially, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying because people are more incentivized to go out and live their lives again once they get vaccinated and potentially spread it. It's like the chances of spreading it, if you have the vaccine, it's like, it's very unlikely that you even get it. And then like you then still can spread it, but other people are vaccinated as well. Then it's still very unlikely that they'll get it. Like if everyone was vaccinated, we actually would eliminate COVID. Like we've eliminated polio or smallpox or other things that everyone gets vaccinated for. It's like, it just seems very simple to me. And the idea that like people get vaccinated, so then they go out and spread it again. So vaccines are not, vaccine mandates are bad. It's like, that's a weird way to, to oppose it. Well, my mother got vaccinated at the same time I did and, and she got COVID. Um, and now here's the yin and yang to that, right? She got it. She got sick. Uh, she didn't die. So like, it, you know, knock on wood, the, yeah. in my opinion, the vaccine works. So I, I'm not, I'm not here to challenge efficacy of it protecting you. My question is because it doesn't prevent me from spreading it when I have the vaccine, am I really helping? And I think that that's, I think that's an, un, I think it's a fair, it's a fair question. And one that I like, Look, if you could pro point me to literature uh, that, that proves that that by getting vaccinated, you have a less chance of actually spreading it, I'll review that. But all I can say is that personally, my strategy prior to getting vaccinated was better for society than my strategy post-vaccination. So that's that's why I just I feel it would be weird to force that on anybody when we don't have evidence that that's actually going to save other people. Sterling, go ahead. But I want to ask everybody just real quick. How's everyone doing on time? Because we started probably, we intended to start at around eight. We started probably around 8.45-ish, I think. And so we're getting close. Like if we wanted to do like a wrap up now, we would get like our two hours that usually gets cut down to like an hour and a half after like, you know, the editing. Um, so we could start to wrap it up here if you guys feel like that's a good place. I feel like we still didn't cover a whole lot of ground. Like I have a lot of <laughs> questions I really want to drill down on. So we could also do another part if you guys want to come back. Like you guys have been 
easy enough to talk to. And you guys have been really cool about all this. So I'm more than happy to have you guys back so we can really nail down more issues. But this I want to let Sterling go. Our last handcap, uh, way better. Yeah. Episode. Well, yeah, I, I also, I'm hoping that I'm not going to follow you guys on social media and then find out some really cringe takes that you're holding back or some shit. Cause that would, mm-hmm. that's been, that's what drove me nuts about Dunk. Like that motherfucker, if he had let out any of that shit on the episode, we really could have had a fun time. Like <laughs> your rivalry with him is one of my favorite. Oh, I hate him. I hate him so much. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, I, I think we're harping on like the vaccine mandates really hard, but it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like there's a bigger fear you have. And this may even be more of a question for Jacob, but I think the fear you have is not necessarily the vaccine mandates, but it's if the vaccine mandates went through and we allowed that to happen, what are their options afterwards? What then could the government use the same type of mandate programs for? And I think you're more afraid of what the government could use that power once that power is approved than you are necessarily the vaccine mandate. Would that be fair? Jacob, you want that one? Yeah, sure. I'll take it. I would say, uh, I mean, definitely for some, that's definitely a, uh, a very valid concern. For myself, I can see the power which a very small group of elite people can have over a minority group of people, which would be pretty much anyone who's not an elite. And we, we could really drill down into this on just a whole episode in and of itself, for sure. I would definitely be concerned, not necessarily with the function of government itself, but who is in control of said governmental system. The governmental system, I think removing the current people in it right now could probably have a discussion that I'm not too concerned about that necessarily. The discussion of uh, the people who I believe do not have any of our best interests in mind, regardless of what we believe, where we're from, what color of skin we have, what orientation we are, anything. I am definitely concerned with the power that those people wield over people like us. I think the solution to that is not to just remove the institutions. It's to have them be completely transparent. Like you should have government bodies at the local and at the larger levels that are accountable to the people that they serve. I think that's the problem. I love transparency. Yeah, uh, that, that's the one reason why I could actually uh, agree with a uh, government running on Bitcoin. Now, hold on. Hear me out <laughs> because it's transparent. Yeah, we could no, actually I mean, verify where they spent their money. Um, so I'm entirely I mean, wrong about that. There, that is like yeah. the revolutionary aspect, I think, about cryptocurrencies that a lot of people are missing is the transparent and like the unremovable, like the undeletable part of it. I think that's a really huge part valuable. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I, I think having a government set up on a system like that would be extremely valuable to the transparency of pretty much just everything. I think it would uh, end up leading to the betterment of society. I think that I could make the case that because of that, communism is inevitable. Because once enough people saw where the money was actually going, like that's when shit will really hit the fan. It's like, you know, I think the only result of that would have to be collective action. Because I started to say a second ago, I know I mentioned that we were at like a time frame, like, do you guys want to start wrapping it up here and then do like another episode of this again? I mean, I do got to start wrapping it up here soon. Uh, yeah, because I'd like to get off right about 11. Um, yeah, I'm sure we've all got other stuff going on. So yeah. uh, I, I would love to come back on. Honestly, th- this has been a great time. Uh, it's gone really well. So yeah, yeah better than I expected. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> definitely appreciate you guys coming on. Oh, yeah. All right. So then we will do this again. 
Thank you guys. Uh, go ahead and plug your podcast and social media in case any of our listeners would like to check that out. Uh, I can't promise you a lot of people will, but you know. By all means, come over and uh, rouse me. That's actually how this whole thing got started as uh, <laughs> Sterling commented on a crazy ass <laughs> post of mine. And uh, I went from there. So uh, you can uh, find, find my uh, <laughs> podcast at uh, risetoliberty.com. You can find me on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey. You can find me on Twitter at Rise to Liberty Podcast. Also, I would recommend uh, risetoliberty.com slash blue dress. It's a special piece of merch that I have going. A portion of the proceeds, a large portion of the proceeds are going to go to savethechildren.org. That helps fight child trafficking. So, Well, and then I have a monthly podcast that I do. Uh, it's a panel discussion where we bring together uh, libertarians, conservatives, and progressives to uh, kind of hash out some, uh, some points. And that's hosted on Muddy Water Media. Uh, that's the home of uh, Spike Cohen, if you're familiar with him. Uh, and the name of the show is uh, The Liberty Roundtable. And you can find that wherever you, you know, stream. We're, we're available on all platforms. Hmm. Nice. Um, I did... Um... So I just kind of wanted to lay these out there just because we're going to do this again and we're going to wrap it up here. But these were the things that I wrote down that I wanted to really drill down on tonight that we're not going to get a chance to. So I'll put them out there now. It'll be recorded. If everybody wants to like come back on the next time and have some kind of prepared remarks for these, that would probably be, we could get like a more structured episode going, I think. But what I wrote down tonight that I wanted to really hit on was that um, I would say that capitalism is indefensible with the history of imperialism, the present conditions of inequality, and then what we see coming in the future as far as like climate collapse is concerned. I put down that left-right distinction that I made earlier about discriminating against people based on inherent versus chosen and like willfully adopted characteristics and ideologies. I wrote down that I, something that I really wanted to get into tonight that I, one of my main gripes with libertarians in general is that I would say that individualism has been intentionally sold to people in order to keep them ineffective because collective action is the only thing that can take over um, everything like culture, government, institutions, anything, and make them work for working class people. Like it has to be done through collective action. And so you have been intentionally sold the individualist style of thinking because it's going to keep you atomized and separate and ineffective to resist. And then the last thing um, I put down externalities, like I'd mentioned before, another whole topic we can get into. Oh, and I also put the ECP, the, the economic calculation problem, because it's not something that I've looked into at all. And Sean started off the episode. I don't know if everybody heard him. He's like, we could do away with you guys pretty quickly economically if we start talking about the ECP. So save that for next time. I want to see that actually happen because I still haven't looked into it. I don't know. Maybe you guys could just do away with Marxism. Actually, I don't know. I don't think that's the case because I feel like we're living in proof that capitalism is not distributing resources effectively and not like, what do you call it? Allocating labor and everything effectively. I feel like that could be done better with some kind of central authority. But again, these are all things I'm just throwing out there. Make everybody mad. Uh, come back with like some spicy takes about it the next time. Oh, those are all great. Um, and, and the ECP debate is an interesting one. I've just never heard anybody make a good uh, comeback. Uh, Mises first theorized it and then Hayek kind of built upon it. And uh, it, you know, I'll tell you this, I, I would be open to hearing, you know, some uh, an explanation around it because I have looked high and low to see, you know, somebody have a credible response to that. And I've yet mm -hmm. to hear it. Doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I'm open to learn, but uh, I, I've just, you know, in in my travels around economic circles, uh, I just I just haven't heard a credible response to it. I'll have to look into it for the first time yep. ever. So <laughs> we'll do that next time. All right. Well, thank you guys for being civil. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, looking forward to doing this again. We're gonna um, plug our social medias and then do our little wrap up that we do. So you guys don't have to stick around for that. But um, yeah, thanks again.
Hey, thanks hey, for the hard Appreciate y'all. Yeah, hey, appreciate for having it. us. It was a great time. Appreciate yeah, it, guys. All right. Uh, Sterling, I'll put the Twitter. Twitter at turn left this pod. Yeah, I remembered it. Again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm on a roll. <laughs> Ward. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at millennial leftist, common spelling. Yeah. Jaren. I'm going to plug uh, Planned Parenthood again. Um, they're looking for volunteers to help escort people uh, in and out of the facility, which is a really important thing to do right now. You can sign up on their website. So just feel free to cruise over there. And uh, especially if you're able-bodied and feel like donating an afternoon, it could really help somebody's day go a lot easier. Oh, yeah. Um, let me pull up our Patreon subscribers here so I can thank them. We've got a couple new ones. So thank you, as always, to Cosmic Crown, Michael, Van, Liquidated Bourgeoisie, Kaja, Sigmund, Stuart, Pete, Colton, El Robert, Allison, James, Brave Enigma, Marvin, Kay Hrida, Not Drinking Water 69, James, Madboy, Christian, Elam, Venture X, Jared, Jared, William, I think it's Bill Killionaires, right? Bro, you know Marks, David, Tristan, Devante, your mother, Charlotte, James, Bishop Mew, Rural Marxist, John Bowie Fan 420, Kyle, Jean Claude Manhands, Mail, Phil, Blackwater Janitor. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Oh, man. I, I think that this went about as good as it could go without. You know what's really going to get bad is when we have a neoliberal on. We have somebody oh. who's like an unapologetic Biden fan and like yeah. they can juke the stats in just the right way. That's when it's really going to be annoying. But yeah, yeah. All right, you guys want to wrap it up? Yep. Biden has fans. <laughs> <laughs> My dead grandmother voted for Biden. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! All right, Thank you guys. Appreciate it, guys. This was—I had more fun than I've had in a while. Yeah, this is <laughs> great. Solid. I can't wait to do it again. Actually, all right. See you guys <laughs> later. See you. Later.